this is amazing. Daniel Negreanu uh, joining after the whistle. And so I've never seen Craig so giddy in my life. I, I, I've known him way too long, but he was just like super excited. Obviously, I'm excited too to have you on, but I mean, I didn't, I, I did not know that he was so excited to have you on. And uh, he's a big poker fan. Craig's a big poker fan. Oh, man, I'm going to tell you, I love watching poker more than any sport. I, I'm going to tell you, I love, I love watching After Dark. I love watching the World Series. I love watching all of it. I mean, and obviously, Canadian boy. Canadian boy. Well, you got two Canadians on, uh, on uh, the pod here Stop. with you. So, Dude, you know, um, this happens now. We're doing the Zoom thing or whatever. Shut up, dog. It works. You hear him barking. There's a guy fixing the pool in the backyard. And I'm going to smack him. No, I won't do that. I love it. Hey, shut. What did I tell you? Did I say shut up? I'm pretty sure I said shut up. Get over here. Okay? Enough. What, what kind, kind of dog? dog? What kind of dog? I got two little Yorkies. They're brothers. I call. I named them Rocky and Apollo. I'm a Rocky and Apollo fan. This is a big, chunky one right here. What are you doing, buddy? You're barking too much. And now the other one's running because he's jealous. And he doesn't like when I give one atten- him attention and not him. Well, what do you want? You want to be picked up? All right. You sit and don't bark. Good. Okay. <laughs> That's not going to work, but we'll try. <laughs> hey, we don't mind. Thank you so much, man, for, for being willing to come on with us. Absolutely. No problem, man. I love talking hockey and whatever else. Well, yeah. I mean, first of all, I guess I should, I should start with saying that, uh, Jay McKee, uh, who formally kind of put us together, but, uh, uh, says hello, and he also says that this is this is straight out of his mouth. If he had put as much time into ho- uh, poker as he did hockey, he'd probably be better than you. <laughs> yep. You know what? And I'll tell you what. If I would have put a little more time, well, this isn't saying much. I would have been a better player than him in the NHL, right? That's <laughs> like, what, what? No, actually, I don't have the body for it. You know, five nine and one hundred and sixty wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> so. It, it, so did you play? I mean, listen, I grew up in Toronto, so everybody plays. Okay. But we didn't play ice hockey. We played street hockey every day after school. Okay. You, know, you get the tennis ball. I had a stick that was so ridiculous. I mean, it was a curve like like just all the way around, you know? So I yeah. could like lift the puck up. I could do the Michigan before the Michigan was a thing. <laughs> was that the uh, was that the ball hockey stick where you put the white plastic ball hockey blade on the end of a shaft? Or did you was that like, were you using like a real stick? No, we used plastic because that bends. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, it's street hockey too. You don't want to mess up a, a real stick or something like that. But yeah, right. we used to play that right in front of the house every day. Game on, game off, you know, moving the nets, the whole deal. And I don't understand, like here in the States, you know, I'm, you know, we, we both live in Buffalo. You know, I have young kids uh, that, you know, that are, you know, outside all the time. And there is no road hockey. There's no road hockey being played here in Buffalo. And maybe it's just my area, but we, when I grew up, like you, came home from school, you dropped your bag, and you went and got your stick, and you ran over to your buddy's place. And then you played for hours. That's just what we did. Yeah, we did it right in front of my house. So that was, like, convenient. So basically, we played until dark, until my mom would yell and scream and say, like, dinner's on the table. But, like, you're exactly. Like, school's out at 3.30, first thing, get the game going, and play till dark. And, you know, that's what we did every day. And then we'd watch, you know, we'd watch the Leafs lose after that yeah so that was probably your era right when they struggled so you were a leaf fan growing up i grew up, I grew up in toronto right born and raised so you know rick vive wendell clark you know gary lehman the, you know the old school crowd that's when i uh 
started to get into hockey as a child. And then, of course, I moved to Vegas. But even before then, I was disgusted with <laughs> Here's the thing. When they traded Tuka Rask many years ago for Andrew Raycroft, I was so tilted. I said, I'm done with you guys. Because I felt like Rask was going to be a real player. So were you like the Matt Sundin era? Or is yeah, that before? Bit. Were you more Doug Gilmore? Well, no. I mean, obviously, like, I was more Wendell Clark, Doug Gilmore. But also Matt Sundin. You know, I, yeah. didn't, I, didn't, I didn't leave the team until they started signing – you know, no, no offense, guys like Eric Lindros when they were like 40 or something, you know, like that was like the MO, like, all right, who can we get that's on their last legs that wants to come play here in Toronto that's Toronto boy? Well, yeah. pretty much everybody. And that's kind of what, you know, their, that was their team building process. Toronto went through a tough patch there for a couple of years. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. So when you, when you were living in Vegas, when you first moved to Vegas, what year was that? Uh, I started going in the late 90s and then I made the official move, like, the year 2000 or like 1999 i think it was yeah but the end of 1999 2000 is when i just said okay you know what instead of making the trips back and forth from toronto we're just going to stick here in vegas and uh, and give it a go and how well, old were you i was about what was i 20, 22 23 74 i was like 25 20, yeah, i was like 24 when i started 23 24 when i started going out officially moved uh when I was like 24 25 yeah well i read something about you that where it said that you originally like you, you used to almost be like a rounder in Toronto. Is that true? Like you'd go around and, and you'd play in, in uh, you know, games there and then you'd save up your money and you came to Vegas. But then did you, did you have to go back? Like, cause, cause things went wrong the first time. Oh, the first many times. Yeah. So basically in Toronto, they used to have these things called like charity casinos where for three days at the Chimo hotel or at a bowling alley or at a restaurant, it moved to different places. They'd have like blackjack and poker. So I started out in Toronto playing noon to eight, traveling like the little circuit there, wherever the poker uh, games were. And then, you know, as I turned 21, 22, I was like, all right, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to take them down. Right. That's not how it worked out. Now, first trip to Vegas, I brought $3,000, played poker 24 hours later. I didn't have $3,000 anymore. Right. So I'm sitting on the rail like a chooch just watching, you know, all the guys play. But uh, it was good. You know, you had to, I had to learn my lessons, you know, like young rookie who thought I knew everything needed to get uh, pushed around a little bit before I figured it out. So but when did, when did you fit? When did you know? Like, when did you know, obviously, you know, playing poker was a passion. You must've played in your teens. And then, you know, as you can, you know, you got a little bit older, you got a little bit better and started to get a little bit more cocky in your game. When did you actually know that you're like, Hey, I think I can make this like my job. It sort of happened before it happened. Right. I remember literally waking up, and I was still at home in my parents' house at the time. And I was like 22, didn't go to, you know, didn't finish high school, wasn't going to college. Like, and I just woke up and realized I'm like, I guess this is what I do for a living. You know, I was making probably 40, 50 bucks and 43, $44 an hour playing poker, right? Eight hours a day, 40 hours a week kind of thing. So it was enough, you know, but I, always, I obviously had bigger dreams. So that's when I knew that that's what, like, what it was going to be. I didn't know. I could really compete at the highest levels until my very first World Series poker event in 1998. I just came off of uh, three wins in three different spots, but they're like minor leagues, you know, like $100 buy-in, $300 buy-in. So I played my very first World Series poker event, 180 players, and I had the table of death, like all the superstars at my first table. But my moves were working, my lefts were connecting, my rights were, you know, and I ended up winning the whole damn thing. So I went from like a $3,000 bankroll to 170000 overnight. And I was like, all right, that didn't money. Well, we lost all that. But, you know, that's, that goes without saying, you know, first time a kid gets 170000 that's not going to last very long. 
right? So we blew that. <laughs> but, but it's when I knew that I could compete, you know, with, with the top sharks. What's so, I mean, what's the skill? I mean, not, not what's the skill, but what is, how does somebody become so talented at poker? I mean, I've, I've watched videos on you. I've obviously seen you play. Uh, I'm not a very good poker player myself. I used to get smoked at the team table all the time. But like, wh- what is it? Like, how do you learn how to play poker? How do you learn how to read people? How do you learn to, to, tr- to understand or know you know, what other people have and, and understanding those Listen, odds. Like, Andrew, let me stop you there. Daniel, I'll take this for you. Okay. He's the poker. He's the poker kid. Do you not understand what we're dealing with here right now? The guy's a genius. Well, but hold okay. on. It's a go, good ahead. go ahead. It's go a ahead. Fair question. Because Thank you. Thing. Thank you. Well, it is a fair question. Cause here's the thing I could, you could say this about pretty much anything. You guys made it to the NHL, right? How you played a lot. You practiced, you learned things. You, you started to work on your shot. You started to like, you know, learn more and more each time. And I'm a big believer in this. And this is, I don't know if this is a quote, but it's, it's my quote. And I, and I believe that like, you're going to make mistakes, right? Learning nothing from those mistakes is the mistake, right? So what I would do is I'd play sessions and I would learn and I would write down key hands and I'd be like, all right, what did I do here? What could I have done? What if I would have done this? Maybe talk to a small group of friends and things like that. And that's how I'd learn the fundamental part, right? The people reading stuff, I think we all have that innately. And it's about enhancing that and like, you know, just starting to, to, to go with it. You ever met anyone? You just met them and they're like five seconds in, they haven't even said anything. You're like, I don't like this guy, right? Where does that come from? That comes from somewhere. It comes from subconscious thing that you're noticing about him. Maybe the way he shrugged, the way he scoffed, something you can't even consciously say. I'm like, why do I hate this guy? That's I how I felt him. when I met Craig. Yeah, exactly. Right? Likewise. <laughs> so, so we all have that ability. It's about enhancing, like just harnessing it and, and learning how to like, you know, read people. I also talk a lot at the table. So I get information. Yes, you, do. you know, I always like to ask them what they do for a living, all these kind of things. And the more you know about somebody, the more you'll understand how their psyche works, right? You ask a guy what he does and he says, I'm a criminal defense lawyer. I'm like, all right, this guy's probably a little shady, likes to bend the truth, probably wants to bluff a lot, right? <laughs> this other lady, oh, I do mission work and I'm a Sunday school teacher and I try to make the world a better place. All right, I'm not calling any bets from her because she's not bluffing. She might think, you know, bluffing is like immoral, right? So you get a sense of who people are based on more information. So when you, when you go to a big tournament and, um, you know, for in the National Hockey League, we go play a game that night, okay? The next day, you show up to the rink, you sit in, in the, the theater room, and they're, they're going over, you know, shifts that we had the night before, breakouts, breakdowns, goals against, all those things to try and make us a better, better team. Learn from your mistakes. So when you play the game of poker, and you are finished a tournament, do you go back? Is it part of your job description to go back and rewatch what you saw at the table, the tendencies, how you spoke? Now you're getting to see what the players have. So like watching game tape, so to speak? Watching game tape, yeah. Well, it's funny you guys mentioned that because I literally just finished a session of watching game film. So there's a new like, company called Poker Go, which you can get a subscription. It's like 10 bucks a month, and it has all the, it has all the archives and all the poker content of the guys I'm playing with. Reason being, tomorrow I'm playing in the Poker Go Cup, which is a series that I won last year and I want to defend my title. So what I do is I take notes on all the opponents, like mental notes, but I also keep them handy in my phone so that I have access to them. And with several things I'm looking for, I'm looking for physical tells, right? All right, this guy bet and his arm completely extended. When he did that, he was bluffing seven out of 10 times, right? Mark that down as stats. 
The cool thing we have available to us now that I did when we started is all this game film. And there's more on me than probably anybody, which forces me to do things a little differently, right? So like a goalie, you know, like Robin Lehner, for example, in Vegas, he studies, you know, his opponents like every game, right? Before the game starts, he studies what their tennis is, what they like to do, right? So if I, now, if you know that and you're the other guys, you go, all right, I got to try something different with Robin because he knows my stuff. You know, he knows what I'm looking to do. So for me, I'm looking to see ways that I can exploit, right? I'm always looking to see ways that I can see, okay, well, this guy, he's way too aggressive in these spots. So what I'm going to do is this, right? So I'm always watching the game film, also watching my own hands and seeing what people are doing against me is really, really important, I think. What are some of the things that are like are do's and don'ts at a poker table, like during a tournament, like what, in terms of rules? Well, I mean, listen, you know, it depends on who you are, right? And what you're there for, right? If you're there just to have fun and just enjoy it, there's no rules, you know, just do you, right? But if you want to win, you have to be willing to sort of, for lack of a better term, you got to be willing to die in order to succeed. You know, if you're there just to have a good time, maybe you play a little tight early. You don't want to go broke. You don't want to get knocked out early because you want to hang out, right? That's not how a pro thinks. A pro doesn't care when they get knocked out. You know, the goal is to win. The goal is to make the money and to win. So you make the moves that make sense to do that, even though it increases your risk, right? So as far as like, you know, again, for the casual player, um, don't give away too much information, okay? So if you sit at a table and there's pros or whatever, don't show your cards unless they call, right? That's free information. Why would you ever do that, right? Now I do it because I'm at an advanced level. So I know that I'm planting a seed in your brain to screw with you. But if you're kind of an amateur and you're just sitting down, you've got, don't let them know what you're up to, you know? Just keep your cards to your vet, you know, close to the vest and, and don't give away anything. So when those cards are being turned, are, are, are you able to process like the, the percentages right there on the spot? So here's the thing. It's way more complicated than just that, right? When I started, it was just about percentages, like you said, you know, okay. So, you know, I'm, I have a flush draw, I'm 32%, blah, 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 right? Now, because of the um, advancement in like solvers, these things called artificial intelligence solvers that have like basically solved the game to a certain degree, the game's gotten so much more advanced because everybody, all these young kids say they're studying with computers and they're studying with these solvers. So now you're doing mathematical calculations that are so much more difficult than that. Okay. It's not even that simple as just like, Oh, the percentage for me to win is 32%. You're thinking about really advanced. I didn't want to bore you with it because it's like so nerdy, you know, but you're thinking about your range versus your opponents. You're thinking about board texture. You're thinking about um, bet sizing. You're thinking about board uh, range advantage all these different things now. And in some cases in the high rollers, we're playing on a shot clock. So you got 30 seconds to do all this stuff, right. To do the mathematical calculation. But once you get the hang of it, you know, it becomes. So, so you said, you said you, you didn't graduate high school. You didn't right. go to college. What were you like in school? Educa- educationally. I was very good. I might, I crushed in school, but I started playing pool, you know, in the pool halls in like the ninth grade or whatever. And I stopped going, I remember grade 10 math, like, I aced it. I aced grade 10 math. I got like, you know, I did, never got a lot less than a 90 on any, any test that we did, but I flunked because I wasn't in class often enough. So what they, what I would do was like, Oh, we have a test on Friday. I'd ask somebody what chapter are we doing? So, okay. Give me like 15 minutes. I, you know, read the chapter. I'd show up for the test and I'd ace the tests. But because I didn't go to class, you know, they said, well, you, you know, you have to do, do it over again. By the third time I did grade 10 math. Right. I'm sure like the teacher's doing this thing. I'm like, bro, you're just, you're doing this way wrong. Okay. Let me show you an easier way. Cause you suck at this. Right? I think I did grade 10 math three times as well. Only I'm not worth 50 million. 
Uh, hey, w- what do you think your teachers would say about you and the success you've had? Have you uh, like been able to ever bump into them or talk to them at all? I mean, I always wonder, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, when famous, successful people, you know, evolve in their life and, and become famous and successful. And, you know, a lot of times I know a lot of successful people that didn't finish high school or, or weren't good in school or whatever reason. And it's just not their thing. But have you ever cross paths with, you know, teachers or whatever that I was like, holy, I'm, I'm shocked that, that you are so successful at what you're doing. Yeah. Like my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Howe. I love this guy. He was my favorite teacher, but I remember one time cause we were just, we were bad. Me and my friends were bad. And you know, he like would scold us and tell us we're going to be garbage men or something like that. If we're lucky. Right. Funny because one of the three of us did become a garbage man. Right. They make good money, not disrespecting garbage men, you know, but uh, I went a different path. And, you know, you sort of touched on it a little bit. Like, I don't recommend people just like quit school or whatever. But as you said, there are certain people that have a passion for something and they love it so much and they're good at it that, you know, that's they're absorbed by it. And, and, and they'll like, you know, they might have success in that. And I knew early on as a teenager that, you know, the nine to five was never going to be me. Right. It was always going to be something entrepreneurial, something like that. And, uh, you know, as it turned out, you know, not finishing high school didn't hold me back at all in any way, right? Because obviously the, the career I chose, I went to like, you know, the school of hard knocks, Vegas, poker grinders and thieves and shit like that. So, who? okay, so you move away and you're, you're, you're living, in, living in Vegas. So what happens when you sit down with, who's the first big, superstar that you sat down with well like i said in that world series of poker event you know it was like johnny chan back in the day yeah my name men the master eric seidel guy named dan harrington you know but in the, at the time you know these guys were all like and like i said this these guys were all at my starting table right umberto brennis like all these big names that i would watch you know because they, they had espn footage way back then it was a little different but guys that i'd seen on you know on tv and stuff like that this guy wants up. say hi to the people say hi to the people but uh but yeah i remember the first move i made against johnny chan worked where i had like a six seven and the flop was like queen nine eight check check and the turn was a nine and i have nothing i have seven high when i check raised him and he folded and i was like i just like the movie rounders like i got johnny freaking chan to lay down and i got away with it and when i did that it's sort of like alleviated a fear of like, Oh my God, what if they can read my soul and all that stuff and sort of learning that like, that's not really a thing. So is that where that movie line came from? He said, so did you have it? And you said, sorry, John, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It was right. It was the same year. It was the same year that the movie came out in 1998. Cause that year, uh, Matt Damon and Edward Norton came to play the world. Series. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Matt did you- Damon went broke to Doyle Brunson with a pair of Kings against Doyle Brunson's aces. I remember it. Yeah. And that's so- no shame right there. That's no. no shame at all. Did you, you throw you, out, did, did, did you toss your cards over with uh, with Mr. Chan? Did you give him the old? Oh like, no, 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 no. See what did I tell you before. You don't give. Yeah, him but them. listen. I mean, this is the first time you just bluffed. No, literally no, no, no. the biggest player you've ever played. Now it's for you to go. I've got yeah. you. I but own you, thing. John. But here's the thing: if I was going to play that psychological game, right, which I would against a lot of people, I'm doing it for a reason. But I planned on bluffing more, so I don't want to show them that's what I'm doing, right? If I planned on not bluffing, I'll show all my bluffs. And that way people still have it in their brain. Like, oh, this guy, he's full of shit. He's always bluffing all the time. And then, you know, you revert back. It's a little bit of a cat and mouse game. So you're living out in Vegas and the NHL decides to come. Well, we'll, we'll shift and we'll, because we know you're a hockey fan. And, 
you know, it must, it must be painful for you sometimes to just always be asked about poker and always have to talk about, you know, what you do for a living. I mean, I, I can't imagine. So I, you know, we appreciate you, you know, getting into that, but so you're living out in Vegas. What was the first thing you thought when you heard that the NHL was bringing a team to Vegas? Well, it's really funny because I remember seeing an article, I think, or I, I, saw, I saw an article about it or something. And then ESPN reached out to me because I knew some guys, whatever. And they asked me for a couple quotes, right? And I, I said, I think it'd be great. You know, obviously I'd be excited about it. So then Bill Foley, the owner, reached out to me, right? And, you know, he said he's really going to try this, make this thing a thing. So I became part of like a group of like 50 to 75 of us who were tasked with like proving to Batman that we could sell tickets, right? So this is not a hockey town. Nobody, there's no rinks. There's like two rinks, right? And we have to sell, you know, like 10,000 seats to people where they're putting a down payment down for a yeah. team that doesn't even exist that may not actually happen for, imp- for we don't even know how long, which is a tough sell. You know, a lot of people mocked us and said, oh, in Winnipeg, you know, they sold out in three minutes. They already had a team locked up. And Winnipeg's a hockey town, right? We're trying to convince people who don't, you know, it's a basketball, football, you know, in Vegas, but nobody knew much about hockey. But we were able to do it. You know, there was enough interest. We sold, you know, the pieces. And I was, like, super excited. And I remember joking with the guys and saying, like, how cute it's going to be when they actually score a goal. Oh, look at that. They're down 6 nothing, and good for you. 6-1, to one, you're down. Because, you know, everyone thought the team was going to be shit. There yeah. were articles written about this might be the worst team in the history of the game. Deadspin. This guy, poor guy, he probably ruined his career. <laughs> Likely to be the worst team that has ever assembled, right? What do they do? They start winning at home. Everyone says, oh, it's the Vegas flu. These guys are coming, getting drunk, going to the strip joints, and they're not ready to play. So they Which go was true. Which was true. Right. Of course. <laughs> but they kept winning, and they were winning on the road, too. And even when teams were like, we're preparing for them, you know? So then they go, you know, obviously, you know, Cinderella story, they make it all the way to the finals. But, yeah. like, I was telling people, this won't happen. You know, all my friends, because they're like, oh, no, we're good. I'm like, we're not good. We're not good. But you know what? We were good. And the city, the, you know, the, the city of, of, of Vegas right now, how have they, you know, taken in the Golden Knights? Like, is it a hot ticket? Are they, you know, what can you tell us? Like, I don't want to hear what, uh, you know, uh, the statistics say that they're selling out their building. Like, how is the, the overall buzz, buzz on, well, on Vegas? Yeah, the buzz is like no other place. I mean, Vegas knows how to do it glitzy glamour. And I'll tell you what, I think this team was like, you know, they did such a great job. There was a shooting here. 68 people died uh, in front of the Mandalay Bay. That was a week before our opening game, right? And the team did a great job of sort of like bringing out the players with a first responder that was there, right? And they were ushered out. And then Eric England delivered like this really yes. great speech, right? Yep. And then we won. You know what I mean? Like we yeah. won the game. And I think from that point on, there was a, an emotional connection to the team. I also think being the first professional sports team to town, you know, plays a big role. Like San Jose wasn't a hockey town until they got a team. And now, yeah. you, know, you know, it became one. So all those things put together, you know, the, the city fell in love with the team. Now, having said that, there's been cracks the last couple of years. It started with firing Gerard Gallant. Beloved coach. The guy takes you to the finals, takes you to the playoffs. He's scheduled to coach the All-Star game because we had the best record at the time. We lose four games in a row. They give him the X. I think right? they left him on the side of a curb in Florida with his bag. Oh, they did, yeah. Catch they a cab. Right? And then, you know, they signed Laner, Robin Laner, which people are going, well, what's happening here? And, of course, you know, Flurry was dismissed. And I think word got out through the media or whatever that the way in which these players are being dismissed was less than classic. You know what I mean? Like, it wasn't handled well. When you replace Gallant with DeBoer, right, 
who was literally like our biggest rival, the San Jose Sharks. We had bloodbaths with them, you know, in the previous seasons. Hated this guy. Him and Gallant got into words, calling each other clown and all that. And I'm like, wait a minute, you're replacing the guy we love with the enemy, you know? And they're, they're, they, they started to develop a reputation of a lack of loyalty. Nate Schmidt, you know, signs a long deal, gets shipped out of town. Alex Tuck, it's a big deal, shipped out of town, different coaches. And of course, you know, Fleury, who was told, you know, he'd play here forever. And, uh, you know, obviously was traded to Chicago for literally nothing. Like we got, we didn't even, we got him for a minor league player that we didn't even take. We said, no, nah, no, nah, you guys can yeah. keep him. But you know what? Listen, you I got mean, the $7 million you- cap relief. Yeah. Yeah. You did. And then you went and blew it on uh, Evgeny Dadanov and Laurent Boisson. So now you're up against it because Jack Eichel's coming to town and you got to go, holy shit. Now we got to lose somebody. So this could be a problem. So you're, you're right. You're right into it. I eh? like, do you have season oh, tickets? I'm- I have 16 pairs of season tickets. I have like four that are 10 rows up, dead center. And then I got 12 more that I donate, you know, to kids or different people who come to town and stuff like that, you know, on the second level right there. So when you walk around Vegas, are people asking you for pictures and autographs and stuff? I mean, like, like you're a pretty recognizable figure in, in that town. Yeah, for sure. You know, depending like where you're at, what you're doing, you know, if you're in a casino, stuff like that. And obviously if somebody stops you, for picture other people notice and they think oh yeah you know it's good to do but a lot of times people leave you alone but for the most part yeah i get you know i get i get recognized when i'm out so you so got when to you know first it. when you first came to vegas where did you live and where do you live now obviously i would i would imagine you live on the outskirts you know of of the the downtown strip yeah so when i first came here i uh you know i stayed at a budget suites like a little motel basically where all the strippers live right? And the drug dealers and whatever else. It was like smart, not the best smart guy. Yeah. And you know, of course, obviously with success, I moved out to Summerlin, which is right. I'm like five minutes from the practice arena. Like these guys here have it good. You probably never played in, in as good a cool of a city as this, where you literally could like, you live in the beautiful, nice suburban area. Your practice rink is five minutes away. It's state of the art, everything, you know, it's, it's, and then like on, on top of that, all the practices, not just the games, the practices, are full of fans in the stands. Yeah. Well, wow. Still, yeah. So before we get to uh, Jack Eichel and the excitement there and, and everything and what he's going to do to that franchise, you sent out a tweet yesterday. And perfect timing, actually, by the way. I'd like to say that it was because you were coming on here. But um, but it was it was great. You, you quote tweeted a video of Alex Tuck, and you said, you may um, – you may not know it yet, Buffalo Sabres fans, but this is your future captain and a great guy who will help right the ship. Why, yeah. why, why do you say that? Well, first of all, obviously Alex Tuck was here and he was a part of the city. They called All the guys in the team called him the mayor because he knew everybody, made connections. But if you think about the way he was dedicated to like team, and in the video, you know, he references Marc-Andre Fleury sort of teaching him how to do that. But like when the team first started, he went to the rookie camp just to like – be, he didn't have to. He wasn't scheduled to. He wanted to. He wanted to mentor. He wanted to be a part of the thing. You know, he's a well-spoken guy. You know, he's, he's, I think he's an excellent player. You know, he's a rare combination of size, speed, skill, you know, thinks the game at a high level. But most importantly, like, he's a real team guy. He's a glue guy. Like, everybody likes him. And uh, he's obviously a, a guy that's native to the area, growing up a Sabres fan kind of thing. So if he's going to go anywhere, Buffalo was the spot. And it feels like, obviously, you guys know – you know, you know, being in Buffalo, the Sabres have just like lacked a real kind of like any sort of positive identity for quite a long time. Like even the things with Jack started to seem to like, you know, falter with the surgery and all that kind of stuff. So Tuck 
can be part of that renaissance. And I couldn't imagine a better guy. Like he's just the type of guy, like even here, we said eventually he was one of the younger guys in the team. He'll, he's a cat. He's a captain type player. And we thought like maybe he would be, you know, the first or second captain on the team before they uh, shipped him up to Buffalo. That's insane. You're, you're, I'm just sitting back here and I'm thinking, where the hell do you have, like you're in all these poker tournaments, you're online poker, you're, you're constantly doing videos. I mean, where do you find time to follow hockey? I, I, I your, your knowledge is, is phenomenal. Dude, you have no idea. You have no idea. I spend most of my time. My wife even said she's never met anyone who's more into their fantasy than I am. I've been in the same league since 1996 with the same group of 20 guys. In our league, we scout him as young. I scouted a kid at eight named Jace Howerlook, who ended up getting drafted by the Philadelphia Flyers, and I partied with him in Vegas a couple, uh, couple years ago here. He's obviously moved to Switzerland now. But it's just diehard. We have, like, a full roster with 20 farm, 20-man farm, 20 farm team, a salary cap, like, you know, full GM status, and it's, like, my favorite thing in the world to do. So hockey's probably, you know, my day-to-day. I spend a lot more time studying, like, the game of hockey than I do – poker at this point so what can you tell us what can you tell us about jack eichel have you I met him yet have you have you met him i yet? have not met him yet no but i'll tell you what i it's the funny thing is i remember watching jack eichel in overtime and thinking holy shit this is unfair this is like a cheat code this guy on three on three in overtime right i think he's going to fit in really well with the weaknesses on this golden knights team the last couple seasons what you notice is you know all of a sudden in the playoffs well they run into a hot goalie did they did they, or are they just taking 50 bad shots, right? All from the perimeter because they can't break through. Teams learn how to play against Vegas in the playoffs. You just collapse, right? Let them take all these perimeter shots, you know, to hold down the house, and they don't have game breakers to fly through. A guy like Tuck, maybe on his own, Theodore to some degree. Jack Eichel's that kind of guy who I think is going to help a really struggling power play too. Like, it's come on of late, like in December, January, you know, it came on. But overall, um, systematically, they didn't have the personnel to create like a power play that looks like Tampa Bay. How fun are they to watch on the power play, right? Just like you never yeah. know where the puck's going. With Vegas, you know exactly where it's going, right? They don't play hot potato. They go, okay, all right, to one point. All right, put it over to the other point. Okay, let's go to the wall. Let's go back to the point. Boring. Everybody knows what's happening, right? So I think Eichel is a guy who can create a new dynamic. I think it's going to make the team like insanely deep, depending what we lose though, right? Because to fit under the cap, we're going to have to, to either lose somebody or, you know, Mark Stone's going to have to hurt his back off, you know, right before the, the season's <laughs> over, right? Now, all, all those players are, are uh, healthy right now, aren't they? Pacioretty's back? They just get, Pacioretty and Stone just came back. We're still okay. missing Alec Martinez, who seems like he's on the mend. He should be back pretty soon in Eichel. But this team this season has been more banged up than, like, any team in the league by a large margin, especially who, right? We played a game in Washington. I thought it was the best game of the season. We won one nothing without without Eichel, of course. No Pacioretty, no Stone, no Riley Smith, no Alec Martinez, no White Cloud. Like it was, there was a shell of the team, and then you know they grinded it out. So it just speaks to the depth, I think. And uh, having Eichel, I think, just creates a new dynamic up the middle, which I think is helpful. Well, not helpful. It's important in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, so he's you- a stud. He's a stud. You're gonna your Vegas uh, fans are gonna be very pleased with. Uh, with watching this guy, he's, he's one of the best players in the world. I agree. You know, yeah, and, no, and I- listen, I mean, it was, it was tough for, for Buffalo to let him go, but we needed to, to be able to make steps, you oh, know, and made out great too. They made out amazing. Yes. Like when you play yep. Peyton Krebs, Peyton Krebs fell in the draft to about 16th because what he did was he tore his Achilles heel. Right. So he couldn't really walk, but at, you know, at 18 years old, you heal like nothing. 
right? So a lot of teams were scared off, but this was like a top 10 talent for sure, right? And now he's going to get an opportunity to play. You see what Tuck's done. You know, he's only been there like 10 games. He's got like 10, 11 points. Yeah. You know, he's, he's, play- he's finally getting the opportunity here in Vegas. He was stuck behind, you know, the top six that was set. And he was yeah. playing on the third line. When he was playing in the top six, he was leading us as well. So you guys made out like bandits, I think, too. I think it's a, it's a trade that makes sense for both teams, right? But, yep. yeah, I'm super excited to have Eichel because Tuck didn't feel that. Well, they tried him at center twice. They tried Tuck, and it didn't last throughout the game. He made it like a period and a half. And like, no, we can do it. this experiment's not working. He's just a winger. You know, that's who yeah. he is. So when they traded for Jack, was anyone there in Vegas, media or whatever, saying why would they trade for a guy with a major neck issue? No, there was nobody really worried about that. I mean, it's a gambling town. People are, you know, more more than happy. <laughs> this but, is true. <laughs> I mean, right? I think people were concerned about this. They're concerned about losing Tuck because people in this town loved him, right? You know, and they saw it as like a never-ending stream of like, you literally took the most popular guys. Gallant, most popular coach. Nate Schmidt, the, mo- like the most dynamic, fun-loving guy. Everyone loved him. Tuck, everybody loves. Flurry, the face of the franchise. It's like, all right, who, whose jersey are you buying? Next, because he's gone, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of what it felt like there. So I think a lot of people were nervous about it and also wondering, like, so what are we doing this season? Then? Are we just giving up on the year? Like, what is the plan? But I think more than not, people were excited about it. You know, the, no one seems to take, you know, the next thing seriously in terms of it being an issue. Like, everyone expects Eichel to just show up, you know, after this, like, long period off hockey and, you know, be our number one center, which I don't, I mean, I, you guys know better than I, but, like, it's going to take them a minute just get up to game speed. And I think they'll ease him in, maybe starting him on the third line until, you know, maybe he takes over that. I don't even know. They might not, they might leave the top six alone and just put him on the third line and use him top power play just to, you know, make it more difficult to play against the team. So have you gone to see, I mean, you, you say you have 16 seats. How many games do you think you hit a year there? Well, you know, before COVID, I was going to every game, right? But then obviously with the COVID thing, and, you know, the protocols and this and that and whatever. And my wife, you know, she doesn't want to get it or whatever. So we had to like, you know, curb the, you know, the games during that stretch. But, uh, you know, yeah, basically if I'm in town, I'm going to the game. Like, have you seen, have you seen McDavid play live and some of those guys? Yeah. yeah I've seen them all. Yeah. We all, we're in the same division as the Oilers. So we've definitely seen that what, it's been five years now. What do the fans look like there? And I mean, when I say that is how many stars are sitting in the seats in that building? How many people would you recognize if you were just, you know, a normal person from, you know, going to a, a Vegas Golden Knights game, like, would you be walking around that place noticing lots of stars? No, you know, so if you did, they're all in like right next to me in my section. Like they put us all in the same spot. John Taffer from Bar Rescue sits behind me. Right. And then a guy named Ed Bernstein, who's a local, you know, local guy here. He has a show. He's a lawyer whatever, but not really like, I mean, you get little Wayne showing up sometimes you get Wayne Newton, you know, you, yeah. get, you, get, you get like randoms to come up and, you know, pull the horn. But like in terms of the, the arena's feel, it's, it's like a nightclub. Like people are, see, it's like, it's different. You go to Toronto or you're somewhere, everyone's polite and quiet. In Vegas, everybody's dancing. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's having a good time. It's like an incredible energy. They started a trend too, which Nashville and other teams are starting to take on because they have this like pregame show, you know, with the big, uh, you know, the, the knight who comes out and he stabs the other one and they do this big like, they just like go over the top, which is great for kids, right? It's cheesy, but it's for kids, you know? And uh, they make it like a spectacle in every way. And it works, you know? It's like still a hot ticket in town even after year five. So, I mean, we, we don't want to keep you too, too long. I mean, I, we're, we're so grateful for your time. I'm keeping an eye on the clock. What, 
what do you do for, I guess, you know, hockey players have a, have a deadline. Some are different. I, you know, I had six years, Craig had 16. What's a guy like Daniel Negreanu do in 20 years? Are you still playing poker? So me personally, I'm a big believer in like longevity and I've been, I've been one of the few, there's less than a handful. There's like maybe two guys, well, two tops that were successful in the era of the golden era, like the early 2000s and are still relevant at the highest levels today. I'm one of those people. And I pride myself on that, always evolving and always getting better. And like, I hope to be even better in 20 years than I am now. Like Doyle Brunson's kind of like, he's such a hero because the guy's 88, 88, okay? And he's playing high stakes poker against these young whippersnappers who are using computers and all this kind of stuff. And he's holding his own. Sometimes he forgets what he has because he's 88, you know? But the guy, like, that's something that I look to and think, all right, as long as I'm alive, as long as I can function and I don't have dementia, You'll see me at a poker table, probably at the World Series of Poker. Are you the best player in the world? I don't think so. No. No, I don't. And why, I do you say, why, why do you say that? So here's I what mean, I... Well, you, like, were, you were named uh, best player of the, of the decade. Yeah. So I had the best results, you know, for a long period of time. Here's the way I, here's the way I think about it. And I remember it was a boxer. I can't remember which boxer made a quote because he was asked, you know, like, how do you stay motivated? You know, you're the heavyweight champ. You have been for a long time. And he flat out said, he says, you know what? It's a little tougher to do those 3 a.m. runs in silk pajamas, right? So when you think about like Rocky three, right? Rocky was already, you know, the champ, he's taking pictures, he's doing autographs, all this kind of stuff. What's Clubber Lang doing? Grinding his ass off. And what happens? Clubber smacks him, right? So when you think about young, hungry, 22 year old kids, what are they doing? Spending eight, 10 hours, 12 hours every day, playing, grinding, working on the game. I, it would be offensive for me to say that, you know, in my leisure, watching hockey games, doing fantasy hockey, like, that, you know, I'm a, a better than, than, you know, all the best, right? So I, I feel like I'm among the best and I always want to stay there. But to say, like, you're the GOAT, you know, that's, that's a kind of an assertion. That, first of all, it's difficult to prove anyway, um, you know, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, there's, there's just too many people who, who care about money so much. I don't. That, you know, all they do is play. I play because I enjoy the tournaments and stuff like that. But I'm not looking to be the killer of all killers, you know, making every, you know, winning all the money in the cash games and things like that. You're so modest. You must be Canadian. Oh, yeah. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Eh? Uh, rivals, you know, you know, hockey has rivals. Players are, have rivals. Teams have rivals. Who's your rivals? I mean, and I, I mean, I don't do, do, do poker players shit talk each other. Like, I mean, there's one guy that I just think I would love to knock out on the poker tour, but I, I mean, I don't know if I want to mention his name because you do. might be. You might I will. Watch. What's his name? On the Phil Are you kidding me? Oh my god! He's literally. I mean, I hate this man, but I love <laughs> this man. I don't I hate him, but like, I get why people. You know, so he's like, he's that kind of guy that you love him or you hate him type deal. At the table, he's a complete whiny crybaby jerk boastful, narcissistic, you know, like just completely wacko at the table, but away from the table, he's actually a really nice guy, you know, like probably a lot nicer than I am away from the table. It's just at the table. He has these, you know, the poker brat outbursts where he just starts calling people they, you know, and they don't know what they're doing. And he just, he's constantly talking shit. Right. Um, but that's just who he is. And it's who he's always been, you know, and you just can't, like, I laugh when he does it. Like when he starts coming at me, I just start giggling and give it back to him, you know, cause it's all fun. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things in the heat of the moment, 
he'll say the word. It's kind of like, it reminds me like in hockey where two guys can beat the shit out of each other. Right. And then like yeah. go for beers after the game and talk about the lefts and rights they connected with, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's incredible watching him because he, he, he's like a bully at the table. He wants to put everyone down. Like he's the greatest player to ever play. And he truly actually believes that I think from watching all of, I, I watch way, way, way too much poker to be honest with you. But you, when you get into it with him, it is amazing because as much as he wants to, really put you down he can't because you're daniel negrano you, you you're you're like on the same level or above what he what he is and uh i have to give a shout out to mike uh mike uh Matisau, um uh the, the the mouth or what is it the mouth the mouth is correct oh my lord he is unbelievable. <laughs> you, say, you say that with uh with a kind of a tone <laughs> i mean he's just exhausting like you can unbelievable handle- you can handle them for like six to eight minutes. And you know, when you edit down a show, like it can be funny, but like when it's 15 minutes of constant diarrhea coming out of his mouth, like he just does not shut up at any point. It doesn't matter who's talking, what conversations are happening. Any thought that any thought you have in your mind, right. That you like filter. He just says everything, like everything comes out. So he's, he, 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 I can take them in grain with, you know, like in, in small doses, but extended periods, he, he would drive me crazy. Yeah. Best athlete poker player not at a charity game i'm talking like you're sitting down at either the series or i mean wherever and you're playing against who's the best pro athlete poker player well that's an interesting question i mean and i'm like i can think hockey right and so like i remember you know seeing at the world series of poker like travis green the coach of uh, well the fired coach of vancouver canucks he's you know he was pretty solid like he seemed to like know what he was doing and things like that my good buddy phil kessel you know, plays a lot, thinks he's really good, but I don't know that I agree completely. You know, he tries, he tries hard. He's like, nice guy, tries hard, loves the game. That's, you know, that's sort of him at poker. Um, but as far as like athletes, I'm trying to think if there's any basketball player. Oh, you know who what, was playing a ton? Richard Seymour got pretty good for, you know, the, the, for the NFL player, the Hall of Famer. Richard Seymour was probably, he was traveling the tour, playing some of the high rollers here and there. So, I, yeah, I'd probably have to tap, uh, give Richard Seymour the nod. What about cele- who's celebrities? Well, probably the best celebrity poker player who makes more money now. That's insane. Than he does, like, making films and stuff. Toby Maguire. I remember no when he way. first started. Yeah, when really? he first started coming out. Like, have you seen the movie Molly's Spider-Man? Game? Yeah. It's the original Spider-Man, yeah. Have you seen the movie Molly's Game? If you haven't, it's about a private – it's all based on true stories, and he's one of those characters. Uh, in the movie you know they don't tell you which which is which but he's definitely in in that you know he's he's he became like a killer he just started playing in private games you know with a bunch of rich whales and people in the industry and you know does really really well so what kind of toys do you have like cars like what are you what are you into away from poker away from hockey like what what gets you excited yeah i'm not big on spending money on toys that i won't use but it's funny because i'm looking right now at an arcade a golden tee and a NFL Blitz Showtime. The arcade is cool. Okay, I, I flat. Basically, it's it's uh, it's an arcade machine. Let me see if I can tilt it over there real quick. So it's an arcade machine, and if you notice, there's a spout on the left because there's a keg of beer in it. Okay, so it's half keg of beer, half arcade. So I got that. These little fun toys for you know parties and stuff. And then you know I've got drive Tesla. But probably the coolest things at, at this house is we built. You know, a South Southwest Greens came out and built like I have a bunker 
in a full green in my backyard with six holes, all different. And I bought a simulator, a full swing golf simulator up in my house. So I could play like Pebble Beach if I wanted to, uh, you know, you know, up in the room there. So I like to, I like games and stuff. I'm not a big guy. Like, look at this $300,000 watch. I got a small penis. Look at me. Oh, wow. You know, like what the f- it's like this watch is 200 bucks, right? <laughs> Apple watch. I can text with this thing. I can tell the weather. Your stupid $300,000 goofy watch can't do shit. It barely tells time. And this thing tells time. My phone. That's all your stupid $300,000 watch does. Like, it's the weirdest status symbol to me ever. Like, you know, people who spend a lot of money on watches. I don't get it. You know, maybe you guys have appreciation for watches, but I've never understood, you know, other than maybe small penis syndrome. That's it. Ah, That's great because Craig's going to go sell his watch collection after this. (laughs) Hey, hey, nothing. Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) that's <laughs> ah, terrible i'm gonna go sell those watches do, do you uh you know do you ever get back to canada i mean oh i mean obviously through covid it's probably a little more difficult but do you do you get back there are you are your parents still still alive no both my parents have passed my mom in 2009 my, my dad in 96 but i would go back before covid as you said every single year i would show up late september because the 20 guys that i said in 1996 we do the dra- I do the draft. Like I literally fly first class to Toronto to do the draft. It's my favorite day of the year. You know, I get, I get some Molson dries, you know, and, I, and I'm ready to go. We do our junior draft. We do our free agent draft. It's a blast. So I go there every year for that. And like I said, I spend more money getting there than I can win in our fantasy pool. It's like, it's not about the money. You know? <laughs> uh, I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Couple, some rapid fire Canada style. Okay. Favorite Canadian band? Favorite Canadian band? Jesus. I can't remember who's Canadian. Justin Bieber's not a band, is he? <laughs> oh, you know what? I was. Go- you know what? It's amazing you say that because, you know, I-, I went and threw my hair back because I'm like, ah, you know, because we, this is going to be, we're going to put this on YouTube. We have a, we have a YouTube channel as well, but I was going to wear this for you too. My Bieber bits hat. You know? <laughs> there you go. And I'm like, ah, he doesn't have Tim Hortons down there. Favorite <laughs> Canadian. Fa- so yeah, Bieber's, I guess Bieber would be a, a, a band. Yeah, we'll give it to I'm, you. We'll give it to we'll you. Give it. I, I thought for sure you'd say like Rush or Nickelback. We went to the same high school as Rush. What about Tragically what? Hip? Yeah, I don't know. That's not really my genre. That kind of no, that's not, okay. not, not, All right. Okay, I, I got to throw this band out there because I, I they're like easily my top two all time bands. And that, you know, Our Lady Peace. Did you ever get into them? Don't couldn't name a single song. God, I've heard the, I've heard of the name Our Lady Peace, yeah. but I'm not a rock guy. I'm like okay. reggae, hip hop, rap. You know, like reggae number one. Like Bob Marley's my favorite. But yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I never got into heavy metal or rock or any you know hard stuff like that. Favorite Canadian restaurant. Favorite Canadian restaurant. I used to back in the day because they don't have it here. Swiss Chalet. Right? Oh yeah, that sauce that <laughs> the, the quarter chicken dinner. Yeah, I think that was it, something like that back in the day. I mean, I'm a, I've been a vegan since 2003, but when I lived in Canada, you know, I would eat that stuff and I'd get the chicken and ribs and French. The French fries with the sauce were amazing. You're a vegan. I've been vegan since, yeah, 2002, 2003, 20 years or so. Huh. What got you into that? Well, I first and foremost, I'll, if we're being completely honest here, I used to have issues with uh, being regular, if you will, you know? So I thought, all right, let me see what happens if I, you know, cut out you know, meat and stuff. And I noticed like a major transition. Like I don't know, don't get sick anymore. I don't have that issue anymore. I'm as regular as you can get. Like, and I just felt like that, you know, major health benefits. So I was like, all right, I'm going to stick with it. Then I got physically stronger, 
which is such an oxymoron. People think, oh, you're vegan. You get skinny. No, I actually gained muscle on a vegan diet. I got stronger, got healthier, and uh, it just became a no-brainer for me. Like, I, I mean, I met this guy who's like a you know, 10-time arm wrestling champion. He's from Russia. And he's like, meat make you weak, right? He's like this big mammoth dude, right? He's vegan as well. And like, I don't know, throughout the years, it just made a lot of sense to me, like from a health pers- conscious perspective. Just you know like- who else is, is vegan is, uh, remember George LaRock? Yeah, of course. Big I, tough I, guy. I met George. We had dinner in uh, Montreal. Yeah. and it was he, a has a vegan, he has a vegan restaurant, I think, yes, in yeah, Montreal. He does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No shit. Huh. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the old days, people think vegan, you think scrawny little guy, and you're like, you know, George LaRock is a vegan, the guy's massive, right? Yeah. Like, and it's this, this, there was this, always this misconception that like, you know, where do you get protein from? Food. Like, you know, we just, there's protein and all kinds of things and plants and stuff. How do you think gorillas get so big? Like, you look at a silverback, what do you think he eats? He's just eating freaking greens. That's it. Daniel Negreanu, this has been, this has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun, and I, uh, I I can't thank you enough for for your willingness to come on and join us. But before before I let you go, did, did you even get a chance? Have you ever seen Craig or I play? Do you remember? I won't be offended if you say no, but I don't, I don't know. Bourget, I remember Craig very 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 well. Yeah, we never. I never had him on my team on my fantasy team though. He never quite made the cut for my team. <laughs> well, I had him on my real team, and I'll tell you, I don't blame you for not putting him on your fantasy team. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. You're you're the man. Thank you so much for your time yeah. and uh you know, hopefully, you know, Vegas doesn't let you down and they can take you to the finals. You can enjoy another run. I think you're going to see that. I mean, it'll be it's just going to be fun to see what the team looks like when, you know, Jack Eichel's on it. I can't wait. Awesome. Thank you very much, uh Daniel. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh Side note, huge fan of yours. I love poker. I love watching you. Uh, I sit every single night and just watch YouTube, uh, Daniel Legrano stuff. So when Petey said that, uh, that you were coming on, I, was, I thought he was joking. I thought he was like, this is, this is totally Craig plays joking. in an annual poker game weekly. The guys some- in my neighborhood are going to absolutely shit. I get drunk texts. I get drunk texts from Craig after with scotch and bourbon after he's like, Oh, I lost everything tonight. (laughs) I cannot wait until I tell these guys it. it, This is, this has been a real treat for me. So thank you very much for doing this. It's uh, it's been awesome. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Same. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you guys. All right. Take care. That's a wrap on another episode of After the Whistle. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, After the Whistle, and at Craig Reve 52 at the Instigator76. And you can find us, as you already know, on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, and anywhere else where you can get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.